0: This is Hashtag Authentic, a podcast for creatives online. I'm Sarah Tasker and this is episode 46. So one of the many very lovely things about making this podcast is all the conversations I get to have with all of you online, on Twitter and on Instagram about your creative dreams and your creative businesses. And one thing that I've seen come up again and again for so many of us is this big dream of writing a book. So the very best person I know to talk to about this is Abigail Bergstrom. Abigail is head of publishing at Gleam Futures, which is the digital first agency behind all the biggest names in internet content creation. I met up with her on board the mothership, a.k.a. Gleam HQ, to ask her all the questions I could think of about breaking into the publishing world and writing your first book. Hi Abigail, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. So it's very nice to be here with you actually at the mothership. Yes, Gleam HQ, (laughs) one the only. I thought maybe actually we should describe what Gleam is to anyone listening maybe who's in the US or who hasn't heard of it before.
1: Yeah, sure. So Gleam is the UK's first and largest digital first management company, which is a bit of a mouthful. Um, We've actually got offices out in LA and in Australia as well. So we basically represent digital-first talent. So YouTubers, bloggers, Instagrammers, um, etc. And yeah, it's kind of a 360 holistic approach and helping them with their careers. And lots of big names that people would recognise, especially in the UK. Sure, yeah. So we look after the likes of Louise Pentland, Tanya Burr, um, Zoe Sugg oh my gosh, Mother Pucker, Lily Pebbles, Anna, I mean, the list goes on. There's too many to mention. Amazing creators. Yeah. And so then tell us about what you do within Gleam. Sure, so I'm head of publishing at Gleam. So I suppose there's two strands to what I do. The first is looking after all of the publishing and working with all of the talent on the Gleam Futures roster on their books and all of their publishing deals. And then we've got Gleam titles, which is a sort of literary agency that sits under the Gleam umbrella. And on that, we are signing writers and authors that have ready-made audiences and are just representing their literary activities and looking after their books. So how did you come to be here at Gleam? What were you doing previously? So I started my publishing career at Simon & Schuster, which is an international publishing house. And I started off there as a publicity assistant and then moved across as an editorial assistant about six months later. And I was there for about five years commissioning books. And that was anything from kind of issue-led stuff So um, I published Laura Bates' Everyday Sexism and Girl Up, and I did a lot of kind of lifestyle and fashion. Um, So I published Garon Sture's book here in the UK. Um, And I also did quite a lot of personality-led publishing as well, which is how I came across Gleam. I published the amazing Louise Pentland and her non-fiction at Simon & Schuster and, yeah, kind of had a conversation with John, the CEO, about their publishing and how it was growing and all the amazing things that they were doing. And then came over to Glean to sort of work in the role of a literary agent and, yeah, as I say, kind of look after the publishing across the board here.
0: So you're the first person doing this job. It was kind of yeah. made around you.
1: Yeah. So the role didn't exist when I got here. So there was no kind of process in place, no emails to follow up on or, yeah, it was, it was crazy. I just got, got here, I got given a laptop and that was it. Publish some books. Yeah, I had to just create <laughs> the role and just, yeah, turn it into a job myself, which was really intimidating to begin with, but in hindsight, a complete blessing to be able to create role for for yourself and and turn it into something that you want it to be and yeah yeah i
0: guess that speaks to how new the concept of digital first publishers
1: as a separate entity within the publishing world is would you say yeah absolutely absolutely so um it started off you know, the American market is, is much further ahead. So I remember publishing Grace Helbig here in the UK, and that hit the bestseller list. So the American kind of talent was starting to trickle over, but Alfie Days really was the first digital first talent to take the publishing world by storm in that way with his book Pointless, which has just sold, you know, over 400,000 copies now, and he's done four books. And Do it you just... think that surprised
0: the more traditional publishing agents?
1: Yeah, it did. These guys were the most famous people they'd never heard of. You know, <laughs> like, what, what? wait, what's YouTube? Like, what's yeah. a what's an influencer? Yeah, I think a lot of traditional industries, you know, TV included, traditional media, weren't talking about or aware of these guys and what, you know, the hubs that they were existing in and the following that they were garnering online. And it's very easy to
0: dismiss because they're quite often very young people, quite often kind of dismissed as quite trivial or not really having any significance, and yet to a lot of people they really are significant and an important part of their uh, kind of entertainment. And
1: Yeah, I think it's a new medium. And so I, take, I think it takes some time to understand. So I remember like a boss of mine at Simon Schuster sort of being like, this is online, you're young, like <laughs> figure it out, you know, just kind of like, go figure it out, let me know what it is. Is it something we should be doing? And yeah, I remember sitting and just watching hours and hours of YouTube and at first even I was you know wow, what, what is this how does it work like how what is this world how are these communities grown what, what are people getting from it mm-hmm. and I think it's just submerging yourself in it it didn't it, it wasn't long before I was hooked and and, it, and the penny drops and you're just like oh yes. get it yes Um, And it's just a really amazing world to be part of. And that's the same with any social
0: media platform. I think people from the outside of Instagram are like, how can you, like to me all the time, how can you have a job around an app? Like that's not a thing. Yeah. And the idea that people would buy courses from me about an app is just alien to a whole generation of people. Really? But when you're in it, yeah, it absolutely makes sense. And yeah. kind of, I always say, only my Instagram
1: friends understand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that surprises me, even hearing you say that. But yeah, for sure. it's um, If you're not in it, I think maybe it can be a little bit confusing. Or I, I think people are scared of it. Mm. They're scared of it because of the power that it has, because of the influence that it has. And those that don't understand it are fearful of it.
0: And things like the Facebook data scandal we've seen over the last few weeks don't help. I had a cabbie yesterday who was like, I'm not on anything. I won't even bank online. Oh and my I, goodness. I
1: don't know if that's necessary, but yeah, I'm, I maybe mean, it's me being small minded, but I just don't know how people can get by now, not willing to, you know, live some parts of their life out online, whether that be internet banking or I don't know, it's, it's, it's essential now. I think it would be really hard to exist for example, without email, could you do a modern day job now without email? I don't. Think, I don't think you can even like apply for a job without email most
0: of the time, I and mean, you can't. You can't claim benefits without email. You can't yeah. join education. It's, it's just yeah. expected. It's almost required.
1: There is a. I remember when I was at Simon and Schuster, there was a really old school um, agent who will remain unnamed, <laughs> um, but he didn't have email and would still communicate with editors what? about his authors uh, via letters. What? Yeah, he, yeah, which was amazing. That I kind of love that in yeah. an old
0: school way. Me and, too. And picturing like these these stacks of typed letters, but
1: personalised uh, stationery. <laughs> yeah. The dream. Oh, oh yeah, maybe we should do that.
0: But then the immediacy is so important. Mm-hmm. And actually, I guess if you're trying to be responsive and quick off the mark, you can't afford to wait for the post.
1: No, absolutely not. It's, yeah, the the whole world is ever-changing and um, transitioning and yeah being responsive is key I think.
0: I feel like that's maybe one area where kind of my limited experience of the more traditional publishing houses they still maybe are not quite as responsive as something like Gleam can be in that it's a long-winded process and it's only when you get into it you realise quite how long the process is from kind of idea to meetings Mm -hmm. to conception to actually there being a book out on the shelves. Yeah Do you think it's really important for conventional publishing houses when they're looking at signing people to... Do you think it matters to them if people have got a social media following?
1: I think it's a factor. I think the first thing to say, actually, is it depends on the genre. Okay. You know, a a, a social following might, for example, be incredibly helpful if you are a chef and you want to publish a cookbook. Right. But perhaps it's not as necessary if you are a new literary debut fiction voice, for example. So I, I think there's no one size fits all, but of course it's, it's helpful. It offers a publisher you know, market research effectively. You yeah. can test that audience. You can analyze their user behavior. You've got evidence as to what the demographic is for that type of content. It's like a focus group, mm-hmm. an yeah. ongoing focus group. A ready-made focus group. And I always, I, you know, I always say to publishers that it's not just about, and I think you know a lot of publishers do work, do work in this way, but it's not just about Trying to tap into that audience. It's about being smart and using that audience as a springboard to access a, a wider new audience. Right. But mirror that demographic. Right. Not exploiting what's already
0: there and leaving it at that. Yeah. But using that as a kind of catalyst to, which is great
1: for the for the talent as well as for the publishing yeah. house. Everybody wins. From exactly. That. But the idea that publishers would only ever commission off the back of numbers is, I think, terrifying. Mm. Really. I mean, it's a bit like back mirror. It,
0: it is. Well, I. The reason I ask that is because I do get emails every week from someone saying, my agents just told me I need to grow my social media following before we can pitch my book around or before it'll get published. And it's a lot of pressure to put on people, Yeah, especially when growing an Instagram audience or a Twitter audience is quite a different skill to writing a really good book. They're not necessarily the same thing. I mean, they're all communication and there is overlap, but... It seems like, you know, if we'd waited for Delia Smith to grow an online audience, she'd never have published her book.
1: Yeah, 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 She's yeah. probably
0: not the best example, but. No,
1: no, but I, I do. I hear what you're saying. It's a difficult one. I think that it's not just about the numbers. I think that's where people go wrong because you can buy followers. Right. You can buy a following. You can, there, we know now some cheap, quick and easy ways mm-hmm. to get those numbers up. But what's important is reflected in your engagement. That's a lot more important than the numbers. And a smaller, really engaged hive of a community that are talking every day, that are constantly back and forth with each other and the, the influencer or, you know, content creator is absolutely essential. And that's, so it's not all about numbers. Just it's the important. impressive numbers. Yeah, to your name. yeah, definitely. And I think a lot of our talent, at Gleam, I think one of Gleam's focuses as well in, in signing new talent is certainly that loyalty with the talent. So, you know, somebody like Lily Pebbles, for example, she's been on YouTube for seven years. Those, those people have been following her for seven yeah. years, you know, and they know her and they trust her and they have a relationship with her. You can't buy that. You can't create that overnight. And it's incredibly impressive and it's incredibly powerful. Yeah, you it's definitely
0: not fakeable. And no. it's, I think it's the other thing as well, where it's about the relevance of that audience as well. This is something I talk about a lot on the show anyway, but kind of that there is no point growing a huge audience for your fashion blog if your dream is to publish a book on cookery. Yeah. You need to be engaging the people who want what it is that you're going to kind of be creating.
1: Yeah. And, the, and a platform with the largest, most engaged following in the world doesn't necessarily make for a book. Right. So I was going to ask you about this because we've seen
0: kind of when you watch the market of kind of uh, digital first creators who then go on to publish books, there seems to be quite a lot of variability in who is able to convert that online audience into amazing book sales. Like they all sell well, but yeah. some sell a lot better than others. And I wondered if there was any
1: some, yeah. lessons that we could learn from that or what you think makes the difference. So again, I, I think this is something that publishers ask me a lot as well. And, I, and it's always that thing of people want to want to understand a model that they can or a process that they can apply to every single digital first creator yeah that's insane it's like <laughs> trying to create a process for publishing actors it completely depends on the personality the content that like there's so many things that go into it so there is there is no one size fits all but that, I accept that's not really helpful so in, <laughs> in trying to answer that question I would say it, it's authenticity mm. like it has to be authentic you can't just publish a book for the sake of it or do it because your audience wants you to or do it because you've been offered the opportunity you've got to be passionate about the subject what it is you're writing about and again you can't fake that you've got to have fire in your belly for it and i always say to authors that i'm working with the book won't go away it's not a YouTube video that you can you know, take down mm. or every single time you speak a, 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 on a panel, every single time you're written about in a magazine, your book will get referred to. Oh God, to. that's terrifying. And it does, you <laughs> know, yeah, it's six, six a rat. So it's gotta be the right thing. Yeah. And it's gotta be at the right time. And then the other thing to say as well is, what is the content? And does that translate well into print form? Does it make sense as a book? And the third thing to think about is, and I'm going to use an example for this one, actually, because that will probably be the best way of explaining it. But um, there was a book published recently called Why Mummy Drinks by an author called Jill Sims. Yeah. Yeah. And her blog, which is called Peter and Jane, I think, I believe. Okay. And it had a really good following and a Facebook community linked to it. And people were going and reading it. And, and the blog was um, a kind of tongue-in-cheek family life, uh, the musings of everyday family. Um, I think it was described as Bridget Jones meets Peppa Pig. Okay. Which quite frankly sounds brilliant. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, HarperCollins published Jill's book, Autumn Just Gone. But rather than creating a Peter and Jane book, that content was working. People were loving it. They couldn't get enough. Their audience was growing. But they're getting that for free. So rather than putting out a Peter Jane book, which probably would have done okay, you know, probably would have sold to a percentage of her audience, they instead capitalised on this kind of Parenting craze of all of these and ah. mumsy mum gin, this non-fiction trend of a new take on kind of frank parenting and published a novel in this space called Why Mummy Drinks and so it was by Jill Sims it wasn't by Peter and Jane author I think it was like a reference maybe on the back cover copy but it wasn't sold off the back of that I mean that book sold a hundred thousand plus copies already and it's it's hit her audience but also it's gone beyond it's tapped into a trend that they knew was already working like that's Smart publishing. Yeah. That's how you publish digital first talent.
0: And quite brave, it seems like. They kind of took a bit of a risk and said, let's do something a bit different rather than just do what's the safe option.
1: Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. So
0: when you hear a book pitch, someone pitches it to you or you sit down with one of your creators, do you know immediately if it's going to be a goer? Do you have like a gut feeling or is it more of a formulaic thing where you kind of have to look at it and study the different parts of it?
1: Yeah, I think there's definitely a gut instinct to it. Always. Yeah, I think I definitely follow my instincts with things and have gut feelings. Similarly, though, it is a creative process. You might not necessarily come up with the idea or the right idea in the first meeting. And I, again, this is something that I always talk to with authors that I sign. The book or the, the proposal that we take out on submission and send to editors at various publishing houses, that proposal will be very, very different to the finished article that's published. Right you know, a year down the line, because it's a creative process and it changes and it morphs. Different perspectives are involved and that's like the beauty of book publishing. Is that It's a journey.
0: And I guess the thing is when you're sharing your everyday life online in the meantime, mm-hmm. it needs to keep up with what's going on with you because you could, you know, you could have a baby in the time that it takes to finish the book or you could start a new whole new facet to your creations or yeah. anything else. So I can, I can see why it needs to evolve with the creators as well because they're yeah. kind of known in a way... More intimately than sometimes kind of more traditional authors might be, I suppose. Definitely, yeah. Kind of on that note, there's obviously other options for people who want to get published now, especially if you have an audience of your own. And this was kind of a little bit of a dilemma I... Wrestled with was should I be self-publishing? Should I? I know how to sell to my audience. I know how to communicate with my audience, and I think I know what they want me to write. And there are options like Unbound, which is kind of crowdfunding mm-hmm. for self-publishing, or there's kind of more traditional self-publishing routes. Mm-hmm. Do you think there are still advantages to doing it the old-fashioned way?
1: Yes. So <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> but um, no, there's uh, there's a couple of things to say there, I guess. So the first one is Unbound's amazing. But Unbound also are looking for and are commissioning submissions from agents. okay. So it's not exclusively a self-publishing platform. And as they've grown, they are also doing that traditional route, going down that traditional route, should we say. But yeah, they're doing some amazing, amazing stuff. I think, again, similarly, something like Wattpad, mm-hmm. which has, you know, 65 million monthly users. Wow. And for your listeners, you know, Wattpad is a platform where you can share your kind of creative writing. You can write a novel on there chapter by chapter, but one chapter at a time and you receive feedback from other writers or other users on the platform. And so you, it kind of impacts and can change the direction of the novel might take. Or, so, really,
0: Is that where Fifty Shades of Grey started as fan fiction for Twilight? Did it? I think it was Wattpad. It might actually, yeah. I think you might be right. I think uh, it had a big Wattpad audience, so she changed the Twilight references and yes. made it original.
1: Yeah, that sounds familiar.
0: Not that we're all aspiring to write the next Fifty Shades of
1: Grey, but <laughs> and, uh, well, at least not publicly. Maybe just quietly <laughs> in, in our spare time. But that's another that's another podcast, isn't it? <laughs> no, but um, even on Wattpad, again, Fifty Shades of Grey. That book was taken off and yeah. published in. A traditional way by tra- traditional publishing houses and similarly you know Wattpad are looking to take their authors off platform and to work traditionally with publishers or have Wattpad imprints within traditional publishers. So that, that I think that says a lot about traditional publishing. There are many many benefits of going down that route. Of course if you want to self-publish then you know that that's great and that's an option too. What I what I would say is it helps with communications, the kind of PR and marketing budget and, and, and punch behind you and that level of support, uh, distribution. You've got, you know, entire sales teams who've got relationships with the head buyer at Waterstones and Foils yeah. and having conversations, pitching and selling your book. Um, so, yeah, it's a personal choice.
0: If it was you, you'd still be inclined to go the more traditional route.
1: For sure. For, as an agent, if I wanted to get a book published, I would get an agent. 100%. Because you, you need someone you need like a tastemaker the right tastemaker within that industry to endorse you and represent you and and say yeah this is great I'm putting my name to this I'm putting my reputation to this and I'm going out and I think that's really important for kind of galvanizing momentum and excitement Mm. around a book and it starts from that like it starts from acquisition like that's when you can start getting people excited and hungry for a book
0: It's been really interesting for me, like working with a kind of publishing team and just the kind of things I would never have thought of. And obviously, if you're self-published, you can commission an agent to work with. Yeah. But working with this team of people who are really experienced and can even just say things like, you can't do that because we can't sell it in Australia if you stick to British seasons or Mm -hmm. thinking about like how the images are going to be produced and the kind of ink they're going to use on the page and all those kind of questions that I wouldn't have even known to ask, let alone how to answer.
1: Yeah. Or, you know, this cover looks great, but actually, WH Smith won't stock it if we go for that cover. Yeah. Because they don't feel like they can sell it, but they can with this one. The level of expertise and knowledge and understanding of publishing houses and, and all of the different facets from production, sales, you know, PR, marketing, as I said, editorial skills. Yeah. It's, these are people that have spent their lives honing a craft and they're experts. And so, yeah, I think you're giving yourself a pretty good shot. You're giving your book pretty good shot of being successful if you're surrounding it you're surrounding it with that level of expertise
0: and is that going to be enough to save conventional publishing that kind of teamwork and and the move towards embracing digital publishers
1: i mean the uk publishes more books per capita than any other country really yes oh. we know the uk publishes about one hundred eighty thousand books a year and the average person reads one to five <laughs> so it's like it's a very <laughs> it's overpopulated. buying for Instagram. <laughs> yeah. It's a very overpopulated, busy, saturated market. And every publisher... Uh, interestingly, I was um, at London Book Fair and there was an editor on a panel talking about this and he was saying, every publisher you ever speak to says, we need to publish less books, you know, less books better and more focused on the individual publications. But ultimately... That isn't conducive to your commercials, to your bottom line. Mm. Every publisher wants to publish the next big thing, wants to be commercially successful. And what's more, you're hiring these editors to go out there and do that for you. So they're going to keep buying. <laughs> yeah. They're going to keep publishing. So how do you reduce that down? That's key, I, I guess, to publishers being successful. How, how do you go about doing that? So getting better at choosing the titles yeah. that need to be published, Yeah. which
0: actually digital fits really well into because it goes back to that thing we were saying of it's responsive and it's kind of demand-based. Yeah. The demand is already proven rather than kind of it being one person's decision in a room somewhere that they think there may be an audience, an audience for something. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of been one of my frustrations with, with talking to different publishers is just that they've been quite slow to accept that I know my audience very well and that I can report what, yes. what they will and won't want. Yes. And I felt like I've had a real uphill battle to persuade people involved in the project of what it needs to be. Yeah. Which I can understand because they're experts in their field. They're very experienced. Quite a lot of them are approaching kind of the end of their professional careers in it. So they've got tons and tons of experience. But this is kind of a brave new world. And, and it's that thing where I think publishing from the outside, it seems like it's not always been very good at reflecting... On the last thing, I'm much better at looking at the next thing, by which I mean, if I publish a blog post and it doesn't do very well, I've got the time and the scope to sit down and look at why and to think about why it didn't resonate and what I can take from that. Do you think publishing does enough of that kind of? I don't know the insides of it at all, so maybe they do.
1: Post mortem. Yeah, post mortems for dying books. Yeah, I mean, I remember post mortem meetings when I was working for a publishing house for sure, where you sit around a table and you look at how much you paid for a book and how much it's made and you know, you're sat there. You're the person that's commissioned it. Everyone's everyone publishes a stinker. It's just uh. it's part and parcel. So yeah, I think publishers definitely are thinking and reflecting on what's gone wrong. I think that they are. I think that perhaps you're right. Maybe not enough time goes into that because they're so eager to be keeping up with the next thing and not yeah. missing out. I think one of the and again, I would assume this happens in a lot of industries. One of the biggest problems or something that stunts creativity in publishing is the copycatting yes like oh coloring books work great everyone's publishing a color book or like hygge everyone Uh, rushing out publishing a hygge book and maybe like one actually worked or Mm. maybe two that's i think that's a bit of a problem but when you say about you know that level of trust and publishers trusting you that you know your audience and you know what's right i think that's been hard for them and i say that as somebody who published a social influencer and found it hard. It was hard for me. So I will will assume (laughs) that there are other editors out there that have struggled with that too because you have got all of these experts in-house telling you what's best and what's right and they, they, as I say, they're, they're, they're the experts, they know. But for the first time ever, you've got this author that's saying, no, my audience won't like that. No, that's not how I communicate to my audience. No, that won't work. And so for the first time ever, I had to go back and challenge what was being said in-house. That's difficult, yeah. And yeah, it was still, and you've got to listen. And I started to listen, and it worked. And I was like, oh, hang on a minute. Louise is right. She's <laughs> right. Of course she you knows her audience better than we do. What were we thinking? But I think that was a difficult, or that was a you know, a transition as an editor. Yeah, to a learning curve. A learning curve to think, wow. But yeah, they do, and we need to listen. And now editors are going... Wow, hang on a minute, what can we learn from this data before we even start that before they start that conversation? What can we learn? There was a real
0: pivotal change with my editor where she well, she was interested enough in the book, but then she went and presented it at the big, I think it's in America, the big thing where she presents the upcoming titles to all of their sales team and, and beyond. And she said they present an awful lot of titles. And every year there's one that stands out. And that year it was mine. And she was so excited. And now she is so excited about this book. And she believes in me. And she's she's like my biggest advocate to everybody else. And she's had that transition of kind yeah. of going from, you know, you come across as quite a young, maybe a little bit nervous in these meetings. I felt totally out of my depths and not representing myself very well. Yeah. To having that kind of wider endorsement when she'd had that, that light bulb moment of, yeah. I wasn't just making it up.
1: Yeah, for sure. But have you, have you enjoyed the publishing process like are you enjoying working with a publisher yes yeah it's
0: it's become a lot more rewarding since that epiphany moment, it feels like less of an uphill struggle now, yeah, and I've certainly got a lot out of it, but it 's also been just a huge learning curve. Just writing a book has been a learning curve because because of that thing you said before, it doesn't go away yeah, and when you 're a digital creator, I am so used to I can put a blog post up, and if I realize one sentence is being wildly misconstrued, or if I say something that's accidentally incredibly offensive to a marginal group of people i hadn't considered or anything, all those risks that you kind of you take when you put something online. You know, you can go and change it. So, yeah, you can edit it. You can go in and edit it. You can refine it again and again and again. Yeah. And of course, you edit a book, but there's a point where you say, This is done. And you put a cover on it. And it goes out into the world, and there's nothing you can do to bring it back. Yeah. And that has really messed with my head in a way I didn't expect. And it's given me like severe blank page syndrome where I'm just sat at my computer, like, I can't do it. I can't do it.
1: It's scary. It's brave. It's yeah. really brave to write a book. It's a terrifying thing to do. But, it's an amazing thing to do as well. It's you know, it's so exciting and to have that opportunity.
0: It's a dream for yeah. so many people. Well, and I know it's a dream for lots and lots of people listening. Like quite often when I talk to people about why they want to grow their audience, sometimes it's the it's the dream that we don't admit to because it's like a bit further along yeah. and we can see the more immediate dreams. But if you really push people and say, and what's like the ultimate big dream, what's the big goal that you would love? it's a book for most people. Yeah. So I wondered if if people are listening and they are feeling that now and they're like I really want to do my book, my book, what would be some good first steps you would recommend? If you've got an idea, do you need to get develop that idea more before you look for an agent or
1: Yeah, and I think it's about putting that idea down. I mean, again, it depends what it is whether it's going to be a full manuscript for your novel. And you can kind of support that with a really pithy, short synopsis. It's going to give a real feel for what the book is. I think as well, like, Bridges are always really great. So look at what's out there in that same genre that's done well. You know, like the whole Bridget Jones meets Peppa Pig example yeah. I used earlier. Or, you know, Dolly Alderton meets Aziz Ansari. It's like a new journalistic exploration of modern day love or whatever it is. That really helps agents, editors, position your book and give them a feel for what it is you're trying to create. And yeah, it's, you need to work on a proposal if it's a nonfiction, which is a, more of a outline of your idea and you can kind of write a short introduction, bullet point some chapters um, and yeah that's that's the kind of starting point for approaching an agent and there are so many agents I'd uh, recommend the um, artistandwriters.co.uk and website and that gives a real insight as to the agencies out there and the different agents and what they do and finding somebody who represents the book you're trying to write to so some presumably there's a process
0: then for kind of pitching to agents to see if they're interested in what you do
1: yes but most of it is done you know you send an email and it goes into an inbox, and it's and part of a slush pile, <laughs> and it's read, and you just hope that it is read by the right person, and they love it. You know, you can get in contact, you can reach out. Social media again. Twister. that's made that so much easier. You can, you know, the amount of people that I get that inbox me and say, oh, you know what I've been thinking, and would you maybe want to go for a coffee? And, you know, that's amazing to have, you know, I love that. I'm like, oh, my God, I have no idea. Great, yeah, I would love to. Or sometimes you need to get a feel for the idea first and more idea of what they want to do because it is a two-way street. I couldn't take someone on and represent somebody who I didn't feel I could do them justice or that that was an area where I felt like I had a lot of contacts or that, you know, the right editors, relationships with the right editors who would take that on. So a lot of it is about finding the right person for you. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just about doing your research. You know, get on Twitter, follow the agents online online, they're on there, they're talking, what are they talking about? What, what books have they represented? Or is there a book that you love? Go to the back of the book, read the acknowledgements, who's their agent, That's get in contact tip. with them.
0: It sounds like that market research is really key as well, like knowing what else is out there, knowing kind of what's been selling well and as a kind of a gauge for how you can angle your own work. I think so. I think it helps. Yeah. I guess as a commercial thing more than as a creative thing.
1: Yeah, or it's just about... It's it's, what is it? it's the elevator pitch. Yeah, that's what it is. And, it, and and even you know maybe your book is entirely unique and there isn't anything out there that's commercially successful that's similar. That's fine too. But then what? Like what is it? You need to be able to explain to somebody what it is. Put it into publishers' language. Yeah, my gosh, there was one recently that was like Fleabag meets something else, and I can't remember now what what, what book it was. But I, instantly I was like, oh, amazing! I want to read that. <laughs> I love Fleabag. It doesn't have to be books, it could be a movie, you know, it could be a TV show, it could be any cultural reference that makes a person go, oh my God, I love those two things. The idea of them having a creative love child is so exciting. Like shorthand for yeah, yeah for a
0: much broader topic that you're trying to squeeze in. Yeah. Um, my friend Helen, who's a children's author, she talks about she had a really bad experience with an agent when she first started out and it really destroyed her confidence for a long time. So I guess it's that as well, it's about finding a good match just in terms of
1: personality yeah personality is important I guess because this person's representing you again this is something that I say to potential authors when I meet with them and they're meeting with other agents it's you've got to pick the person that you feel the most comfortable with them talking for you Mm -hmm. because that's what they're doing they're your voice they're representing you so you need to feel like they would do that In the way that you would want them to that you feel comfortable with as you say their personality the way they conduct themselves i think that's um important and don't be disheartened if the first few agents turn something down i mean ask for feedback we always definitely strive to give as much feedback as we can yeah you maybe gotta knock on a few more doors and and find your lobster your literary lobster
0: that should be the name of this episode finding your literary. yeah i love that There's your book title. Yeah. So to prevent everybody from immediately finding you on Instagram and DMing you the book idea, which I'm sure is tempting, is there a process if
1: people wanted to pitch to you or to Glean? Yes. So for Glean Futures, if you want representation as a talent, you want management, um, you can go on our website and there's means of contacting us through that. For Glean Titles, we're actually launching our website at the end of April and on there there's a contacts page where you can attach a submission and a short cover note with a little pitch and tell us who you are and what it's about and uh, yeah we I think on the website it says that we'll come back to you within a kind of three to four weeks due to the level of submissions that we get so that's probably the best way
0: awesome well I'll make sure I update the show notes as soon as that's live so that people can find them they so can just- click Click straight over. Thank you. You mentioned earlier that it's been London Book Fair this week, and you've been hearing various <laughs> talks and things, and a little bit maybe exhausted from the process. We're on Friday now. Yes,
1: London Book Fair is intense.
0: <laughs> it's like going
1: into the belly of the beast.
0: <laughs> what have you come out with, Ben? What have you seen this week? Anything that's exciting you, or any trends that we should know about? I guess one of the trends that I picked up while I was there is
1: books on gynecology, periods, ah, and vaginas. Yeah
0: all about the JJ. There was one that came out not that long ago, wasn't there? That's yes. been getting quite a lot of publicity. The Wonder Down Under. That's the one. Great, great title. Great book. Great, book. I learn a lot. And a lot. there is if you come across it's web-based, but it's like a subscription service and it's a guide to female masturbation. Oh. It's like techniques.
1: Yes, it's called Oh My Something. Isn't yeah. It? Yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I guess that's kind of we've seen it online and now it's turning into books. Yeah,
1: I think so. I think so. It yeah, it's fascinating. I think the there seems to be a lot of books on periods. Wow. Yeah, I don't, I don't really know how much there is to say yeah, on periods. I didn't realise. But, um, so it'll be interesting to see, what you know, again, what, what, what works and what kind of angle captures our imaginations in that sense. And I think another trend, actually, that a few editors mentioned to me this week, and I thought, oh, gosh, there must be so many people out there with those types of books under their belts. I imagine that a lot of people want to write novels with strong feminist voices Mm. apparently there's quite a lot of that coming from the states but not so much in the UK and I think I got a feel that editors were really looking for different female voices Mm. I don't know about you but I often feel that I read the same female voice yes yes and in the past kind of 12 months or so there have been some really great successes of books from women with really quirky, unique, original voices, and it, I just find them so refreshing.
0: Yeah, I guess even things like um, Eleanor Oliphant, perfect yeah. example.
1: Perfect example. I was just like, where have, where have you been hiding? Yes, you know, and it's oh gosh, yeah, and all grown up as well. I've not read that yet. Yeah, that's by Jamie um, Attenberg, and um, it's a kind of really. She's got quite a like sharp, almost bitter, which sounds too negative, voice, but I love that book because again, looking at the success of Dolly Alderton and this idea of our friends being the loves of our lives and not, you know, a man in all grown up, she kind of is interested in and looks at the connections and relationships that she has with like lots of different men in her life, but like on the journey of rather than this pursuit of like one perfect man, which with a beginning, a middle and an end. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it was just great. It was like, oh yeah, wow, all of these Journeys and relationships and experiences are important too. And a relationship isn't just a success if you die together. Like, <laughs> yes. It can end yes. and it can still be valuable still and useful on some level, it. which is, yeah. I personally found quite reassuring and interesting. Same applies to careers,
0: in fact. Like, it doesn't yeah. have to be the one forever. Totally. It can totally. just be the one for now. And maybe there's something in there then about, God, let's hope so, that women being able to be flawed yeah. and not to have to be super likable and super glossy and perfect in order to be worthy of being the character in a
1: book anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, like, one of my favourite books that I've read this last year is definitely um, Conversations with Friends by Sally Rooney. And I just think the voice of her lead protagonist, and actually the other women in that book, just so brilliantly, beautifully, wonderfully done. And just this kind of character grappling with relationships and how much of yourself to give and how much of yourself to hold back and it's just ah it, I read it and was
0: wowed it's very relatable and it's the kind of stuff that actually isn't talked about an awful lot
1: yeah the real subtleties and intimacies that exist in the relationships the close relationships that we share with people that just go f- so far beyond language mm. and to be able to capture that in with writing, language with language <laughs> yeah. I think is just the most uh, uh, like incredible superpower Oh, I yeah. love that. Writing is a superpower. I yeah. agree. I totally agree.
0: Are there other voices then that we are still maybe lacking? So those kind of strong, different females, do you see any of the gaps?
1: I mean, I'm sure there are plenty. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a whole focus on diversity and inclusivity in publishing at the moment, which is so necessary mm-hmm. and more kind of... Ethnic diverse voices, which I think is so important, or just perspe- like different perspectives, whether that be race, socioeconomic, sexual preference, ability, I guess. Ability, as well. exactly. And really giving those voices a platform, which is great. I'm really excited that the publishing world is shining a light on that and putting in efforts and really consciously trying to be diverse in the types of voices that they're signing and publishing. And I know I definitely am in terms of looking for who, you know, the voices that I'm signing up as well. So it feels like an exciting time in that sense. And making making some actual progress. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So... What would you say then is the favourite book you've read over the last year? Have you got one favourite or several?
1: Oh gosh. Um, you're always
0: sharing book, like book selfies I on know. Instagram, and I'm always like scribbling down what you're reading because I want to read it too. <laughs> yeah. Good. Oh, yeah, thanks. definitely follow Avi on, on Instagram, everybody, if you, if you like book recommendations. Thanks. She's always got new ones.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh. So, so many. So many. I mean, Sally Rooney, as I say, yeah. I literally, I've, like, bated breath, can't wait for her next book to come out. Renny Lodge. Why I'm Not Talking to White People About Race Anymore. Yes. Um, incredible, incredible book. When Breath Becomes Air, that's still up there. I'm still recommending that book about a doctor, a neurologist, who self-diagnoses himself, who self-diagnoses um, terminal cancer and basically grapples with death, um, which sounds really dark, but it's <laughs> yeah. the most uplifting book I've ever read about death. <laughs> it made me feel like if I... If I, you know, got diagnosed with something or I got given a few months to live, that I could probably cope on some level, which is a pretty mind-blowing thing. That's an amazing thing to leave people with, that, yeah, that feeling. Such powerful writing. And, and then the book that I always recommend, which is probably one of my favourite favorite books of all time, is called All My Friends Are Superheroes. I so, don't know that one. Yeah, check that out. It's okay. kind of like a bit magic realism, uh, suspended reality. It's very unique, very unusual. So, Fiction.
0: Yes. Okay. Yeah. I will link to all of these in the show notes for people who are driving or whatever and can't scribble them down so they can just click over to Amazon. Have you got any titles coming up for the rest of this year that you can talk about?
1: Yeah, yeah. We've got lots of exciting things coming this month, that, well, this year. So Emma Gannon, The Multi Hyper Method, which is a book all about basically how the nine to five is a hangover from the industrial revolution and we're all working off our phones and all the time and about really creating a career that works for you and not just relying on one linear career or one sole job, but having multiple revenue streams and multiple projects going on all at once. And Emma is kind of testament Absolutely. To that. Queen of it. Queen of it. And I've got a really exciting um, debut poetry collection coming by Charlie Cox, who's this phenomenal, phenomenal young poet. It's called She Must Be Mad. And she kind of explores mental health, coming of age, so excited about that right up my street yeah and then what else is coming we've got why social media is ruining your life <laughs> by Catherine ormerod which is a which i love that gleam are representing and it's a kind of polemic delving into our relationship with social media and the positive effects but also the damaging effects too and then there's something else coming as well that's there's lots of other exciting things that are coming but i'm not sure which have been announced and which haven't been yeah. announced but Obviously Zoe's cordially invited, which is publishing this summer yes. which is just ah, so exciting.
0: she's been sharing lots of uh, pictures and things of it
1: on Instagram and yeah. it's like a lot of fun. Yeah it's um, I'm yeah really really excited about that and just yeah amazing to be able to work with her as well.
0: So where can people find you online to follow
1: your ongoing book recommendations? Sure so yeah I'm on Instagram just at Abigail Bergstrom. I'm on Twitter. But I don't tweet so much, so I find it a very intimidating space. (laughs) Um, So yeah, probably on Instagram. And then, as I say, the Gleam Titles website. And also Gleam Titles, you'll find us on Instagram. You'll find us on Twitter. So please follow there and you'll see more about the exciting books we're publishing, but also the types of things we're looking for as well.
0: Do you know what the URL is going to be for the Gleam Titles website?
1: Yeah, it's uh, www.gleamtitles.com perfect yeah and the um handles are all just at Bloom titles that's great just for anyone listening in the future when it's all done thank you so much
0: thank you so much show notes are at meandola.co.uk forward slash podcast 46 if you have any more questions for abigail or any comments about what you've heard this week we would love to hear them either on twitter or on instagram you'll find me at me and and you'll find abigail's links to social media in the show notes i've just mentioned i hope you're having an awesome week and i will see you soon